Hello, and I want to welcome my guests back today, Rachel Nussbaum. There we go. Yes, Rachel Nussbaum. Hi, Rachel. Welcome back. Hi, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you again. Yes. So give the listeners a little context to who you are. Sure. I am the daughter of a woman with Mm -hmm. pretty advanced dementia. Uh, My mom was diagnosed almost 10 years ago with originally a certain type of dementia, but now has a diagnosis of something called posterior cortical atrophy. We call it PCA. Okay. And so it's been something my family has been dealing with for almost a decade. And I am interested in chatting with you today about how this has affected my young children. So my kids now are 10 and 8, which means that one, I was pregnant with one, and one was very, very small when the diagnosis came around. So it's been a process, I guess you could say, to say the least, figuring out how to manage this with my kids. So my mom's grandkids. And I was very intrigued. I knew there was something that more I wanted to ask you because I want more kids to better understand. My niece and my nephew were 12, I think maybe. I can't remember the age. I just remember that they didn't understand. You know, they were teen, you know, like maybe seventh, eighth grade, you know, but they just didn't understand. And they, even though I was trying to explain it to them, like, if you want grandma to be there, you need to call and go get her. You need to call her like, you know, every day, every morning, not just the day before. Cause they'd be like, Oh, we told grandma. Well, right. she doesn't have short term memory. This is what happens. And it wasn't until they probably graduated at least my niece anyways, that she really gets it now, but it's hard. So I, I'm very intrigued as to what your approach is with your children at a young age as well, younger than my niece and nephew were, and how that whole process has evolved and how you're, you're working with it. Because I feel like that's information that, again, will get people talking about this with their loved ones at a younger age. Yeah, for sure. Actually, something that just dawned on me, I know one of your messages is to talk about this mm-hmm. as a family before it happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that as awful as some of it has been, I will be talking with my kids about this if it happens to me. We've already started talking about it. Yeah, so absolutely. I think that is one advantage that comes out of this situation when you have open communication. Hopefully that yeah. communication will continue throughout yeah. the years. Absolutely. And they're just learning as they go. Children yeah. are very intuitive uh, mm-hmm. and questions that they ask, as long as they know that they can ask them, I feel that they will. And because my niece and nephew did, but since some of my family members were in denial, they didn't know how to explain it. And until they asked right. me, I kept explaining, Hey guys, Hey, this is what this means. But you know, it is what it is. They've, they've gotten better over the years. So, right. Right. Yeah. Yes, I thought a good way for us to get started talking about it would be for me to read something that I've written about an interaction that happened between my mom and I, but it was about my son, whose name is Griffin. So can I go ahead and read it for you? Absolutely, yes. Okay, great. And just the backstory is that I have a creative business called Orchid Story, which uses writing as a tool for healing. Okay. And I teach this to people, and I also... Practice, practice what I it. preach. So <laughs> That's awesome. I wrote this about a year ago. So things have progressed, but it will give us a sense of, of where things are in my family. Okay. Okay. So we were riding in the car together. I was taking her home after my daughter's birthday party. It had been a fun, if chaotic evening. 
Lately, mom has been getting worn out quickly during these family functions. Worn out leads to confused, leads to agitated. So I was eager to get her home and settled. She said, I wanna to talk to you about Griffin. Her brain is tricky because it's still able to formulate such complex thoughts in one moment and has complete tunnel vision in the next. Mm. She's able to convince renowned experts in neurology into thinking she's much more capable and independent than is actually the case. I found that conveying the nuance of my mom's condition, a rare form of dementia, is like trying to swim in mud. The little moments are revealing though. Okay, I reply, let's talk about it now. I'm not sure what it is about my seven-year-old that's bothering her. Mm -hmm. He won't talk to me or play games with me anymore, she says. Her tears come immediately. We used to play games together all the time, and now he won't even sit near me. If I sit near him, he gets up and moves. I want to say, oh, that's not the case at all, but she's right. I'm surprised that she's noticed because her condition makes it hard for her to judge social interactions. I take a breath and say, I've noticed too. It's confusing for them, mom. It's confusing for me. So imagine how hard it must be for the kids. He doesn't know how to act. But I'm still the same person, she says. I'm still me. No, you're not. The thought is quickly formed in my head, but I catch it before it comes out of my mouth. This is the person that I considered my closest friend in life, the person who knew me best in the world. For a decade, bits and pieces of her have been slowly falling away. I try to be present and be grateful that the decline has been so slow. When I do allow myself to reflect, it feels like grieving. She seems unable to understand that I am deeply sad about her decline. Maybe she's incapable of this type of empathy now because of what's happened to her brain. Or it might simply be that it's hard to acknowledge that this disease is affecting her daughters and her grandkids on a deep level. A particular cruelty of this form of dementia is that she herself is fully aware of the ability she's lost. I've noticed this happening more often. She says something with which I disagree where the whole situation is not being represented and I don't know how to respond. I feel so stuck. Every response is the wrong one. Reminding her that she can't play games with the kids because she's essentially blind and can't see the faces of the guess who game, much less have the coordination to tap the figure down is just not constructive. Going along with her head in the sand view that everything is just fine doesn't keep me in integrity with myself. I think I know what she means when she says this, that at her core, the truest essence of herself, she's still the same, even if all the former capabilities slowly get stripped away. I've started to stay silent in these moments, all of these thoughts whirling in my head. <laughs> oh, Rita yeah. back is like, <laughs> well, you made me cry. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's why I, when I said to you, I think it's just a good example of how something so small, like my son not wanting to play a game with her is representative, like so many things and oh, so yeah. many layers. Oh yeah. And a situation that for me, absolutely not about playing games, it's about visiting her and her not, her saying they don't come over anymore. They only call me when they need me and like, I never see them. And that was not true because I knew when they were there, but 
there was just a disconnect. They didn't know how to communicate with her anymore. They, you know, depending on what mood she was in, whether she'd be nice, friendly or whatever. And for me to have to explain, you know, and when I'd ask my niece and my nephew, they'd be like, well, she's always mad at us or she says this or she does this. And, and mind you, this was the grandma that also babysat them when they were babies. Wow. And so it was just hard because they're processing it differently. They don't quite understand that they're not the same person, that they have to communicate with her differently and, yeah. and teaching them that they have compassion. They do. Most, I feel, in their generation do. But for some reason, because they, didn't, they don't understand the disease now, they're a little bit better. But back then, they couldn't understand why she would get angry with them so quickly or why she would get where, well, we told her that our game was this day. Right. She just didn't show up or didn't come. Well, no, because she doesn't have any short-term memory. That means that unless you want her to be there, you got to go get her. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that piece you said about how she used to babysit them. Mm-hmm. And then it's so hard to come to grips with that idea that like this person, my Mom used to babysit Carly when she was a baby. Mm-hmm. She didn't have the opportunity to do that with my son because of her disease. But Carly remembers a sense of that, you know, a sense of being able to be alone, to mm-hmm. get in a car with her. Mm-hmm. And then to have your relationship change so drastically, mm-hmm. I think we have to remember that the kids are going through that process just as we are going through that process. And that's something, this example is a good one because my son's way, one of his ways of coping is really to avoid yes. her. Yeah. And I have to kind of allow that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Even if I, I want to just force him, no, we're going to see her. You're coming, get in the yeah. car. But he's really uncomfortable with her disease. And I have to give him a little space around that and work through it himself too, you know, so like not forcing my own way of dealing with it onto my kids. Yeah. My niece and I, when she was 15, she came to do an internship here with me in Dallas. She lives in El Paso and we, and another friend of mine said, Hey, there's this, um, assistant living center that's doing this experiment where they show you what it feels like for somebody to have, you know, whether it's cataracts or, you know, when they have a hearing impaired, you know, just different things. And they, they put headphones on them. They put headphones on us, her and I. So we signed up. I said, you want to go do this? Yeah. I said, I think this would be really insightful for grandpa. Cause at the time my Mm -hmm. grandfather had, I think he had just passed, but he couldn't hear and he couldn't see, but the, put the earphones on them. They make you put these socks or these shoes on with prickly things. And then you have mittens on and, and then they have the, the lights dimmed and then they're giving you instructions with earphones on. You can barely hear them and you're supposed to do certain things and find certain things. And like, and it, only 15, 20 minutes is, was the exercise, but it was enough for us to both walk out very quiet. And the first thing she said was like, wow, that's what grandpa went through, you know? And I don't think my mom had been quite diagnosed just yet. I don't remember. Maybe she had, but like, this is, it was an aha moment. And so as she got older, I just like, remember that exercise we went to go do, you know, like just consider that there are things going on in grandma's head. Her body is the same. You see her as the same, but in internally her mind is not working the same and she does not do things or say things because she means it because she's trying to be mean to you or she's angry at you. It's just, she's frustrated with herself. And so 
they avoided, but then as they got older, they got more comfortable with just repeating themselves or just being okay, but they still don't spend as much time. And my struggle and my concern is that they will regret that when she's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, that sense of guilt will come. So I don't know. I, I don't even know how to communicate properly and I don't want to be forceful. So I just pray that it will come in time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like sort of related to what I was saying that like they are, yeah, they are their own people. And like you said earlier, they're so intuitive. They're so in touch with what is happening, even if they can't understand the full thing, you know, there's so much of it that they digest. And so I try to go back and forth. Like sometimes it's okay if my kids don't want to go see her when I'm going to see her. Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't have to go, but sometimes we do have to go because this is our role. Like we're the caregivers for her, Mm -hmm. we're her family. We moved her out of her home eight hours away and brought her down to live near us in Virginia. And so there is a sense of responsibility and I don't want it to feel like a resentful responsibility, even though I know that they get that from me sometimes because I do feel resentful at times. I think it's only natural. And so I, I honestly, I try to talk that through with them too. My goal has been to just maintain as much open communication about it as I possibly can. And so if that means that they're feeling angry about, so a lot of grandparents that we know are really involved with their mm-hmm. families. That has been something that's really, really hard for my kids to see yeah. grandparents everywhere we go. When mm-hmm. we go to soccer, there's grandparents. When we go to swim meet, there's grandparents. A school event, there's grandparents. And mm-hmm. we can bring my mom, but it's really tricky. It's really tough. Yeah. And definitely they can't be alone with her. Yeah. And yeah. so my daughter who's 10, she'll voice that like, it's not fair. And if I could change one thing, like I wish I had, because they don't have my kids just don't have any grandparents out of the four of them that they can be with. And so I allow her to express that, you know, because Mm -hmm. it does, it does suck. It's terrible. And I kind of allow that space to feel that emotion for her. Do you know if there's any kind of counseling that they could go to, to better get the skill set, the tools to you know, maybe adjust not their way that they speak with you because they you want them to be honest with you, but just the way that they adjust with just her. Because yeah. I found that that little bit when I would ask my niece, like, hey, if she gets frustrated, just, you know, change the subject, make her laugh. Don't try to argue with her. Right. And then she'd come back and she'd explain what happened. Like, okay, you know, like, because they're still processing it, and because you don't want them to regret, I mean, my grandparents were very involved in our lives. Like, I don't know what it would have been like without them. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful that I knew them. And so my mom was very participant to, you know, my niece and my nephew's life. And so much to where they were like, well, she doesn't come anymore. And she's like, well, they don't, they don't want to come visit me anymore. You know, like, like, so it's almost, they're resenting each other, but she has no, she can't understand that. That's something that's no longer there, you know, good for you for being, you know, communicating with them. But is there not something out there that teaches them how to have a conversation with her or to be around her? 
Do you know? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't think there are that many resources for young kids in dealing mm. with a grandparent who has dementia. And what further complicates my specific situation is my mom's disease, which is so unusual. So it can't, like part of this is really specific to her disease and can't mm-hmm. really be extrapolated out because she does have pretty good short-term memory still, but she's not able to do any tasks of daily living. So like she can't get dressed by herself is one example. Mm-hmm. And I found that there was a time when yeah. I wanted to shield them from that. So for example, we would go, we would take my mom on vacation with us every summer for a week at the beach, my sister, my sister's family and my family. And this is probably about five years ago when she started not being able to get herself into a bathing suit on her own. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, who that would, she would have only been five, so she was really young, mm-hmm. would go in to my mom's room and help her get dressed Aww. and not even ask Again. me about it, mention it. She just knew. So I think maybe a benefit of having younger kids seeing the progression and living through it is that they do have a sense of like what I can do to help and how I can interact that comes natural. So like the repeating thing hasn't, that hasn't been much of an issue with us yet, but my daughter is much more engaged with my mom and comfortable and will just do things than my son who his coping mechanism is avoidance. And, you know, like I said, I think that's okay. And we just have to figure out sometimes you don't have to come and sometimes you do. And I kind of coach him and stay close to him when I'm with her, because if he's with me, he feels more comfortable, but he doesn't want to be alone with her. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that. That's my niece and nephew definitely are one was a little bit more engaged, a little bit better now um, than my nephew. And she would come back and say, well, grandma, you know, did this and this, but she did good here, you know, but that just took time. And I just don't want her to regret, you know, I, I, my grandfather passed away. I regret not being there. My mom's like, shoot, he won't remember. He doesn't know this, that, and the other, you know, don't worry about it. But you know, that's a part of me regrets that I didn't hurry up and get there, you know, because I didn't get to say goodbye. She's like, he won't know, but, but I know, you know, right, and, and I for think, your own sake. Yeah, yeah. And, and so saying like, that's where I, I'm coming from with them is that they will know they will, they're going to feel whatever that they feel. And I don't want them to feel that way. So, but I can't force them. So I don't force them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's all we can do is like, keep that open communication yeah. with them. Yeah. And then especially your niece and nephew, I mean, they're adults. Yeah. Ish. <laughs> yeah. 18, now. 20. Yeah. 21. Yeah. So they, they are definitely going to be making their own decisions. And, and part of the struggle I think for me is that I do want them involved with my mom and I want them to have compassion towards her and be a part of the caregiving. And in a way, like they already lost her. She's yeah. like, she's gone. The yeah. person that she was, she's pretty much gone. Absolutely. And so I want them to remember her, which I don't think my son is there's any way because he was a baby. But like, my wish is that they remember her the way she was. That's my wish for myself too, you know, because yeah. sometimes I lose sight of that. And I feel like that is a really, really tough thing to deal Mm -hmm. with is like remembering the relationship that you had. And for me, and I know for you too, like we were so close and 
was so special and it's just changed so drastically. So I know that's something I cope with and I know it's something that the kids cope with too, feeling like she, in a way she's already gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's the body that's there that they see the shell, not the person that they used to know. And that's how I used to tell my nieces and, you know, don't hold it against her. Don't, you know, she doesn't know what she's saying. Just don't worry about it. Like, you know, not worried about, I mean, cause I, I know it's hard when I say that, but just give her a pass, you know, yeah. give her some grace, you know, but with this, I use this to say, you should be talking to your parents because this is going to happen to your father, you know, my brother, this is going mm. to happen mm-hmm. and you need to have some sort of a plan. And if they don't want to talk to you about that plan, you need to you know, put things into place where you have, or, you know, if it's a savings or it's a long-term care or whatever it is that you can take care of them or, and, or you can take care of yourself, you know, whichever one, but like have a plan and, and try to talk to them if you can, if you can't then come up with your own and that's going to have to be financial because it's something that unfortunately we're all living longer and the way we were raised is to take care of our loved ones. You know, it's in our DNA. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I do. And at the same time, my kids and I have this conversation and I don't want them to have to take care of me. And honestly, like being so young, they are very, you know, they'll say whatever they is on their mind and they'll say they don't want to take care of me because they see the toll that it has taken on me Mm -hmm. and my relationship with my mom. And so that will definitely like this whole experience has had such an impact on how I will and have already started planning for the future. And actually I turned 40 over the summer and I told myself that I was going to write, start writing it down, you know? And and I think that's really important. Like Mm -hmm. that I start writing down what my wishes are. I mean, my mom was 60 when she was first diagnosed, but who knows, you know, you just, you really don't know. And and so it does open the door. If you're able to have the open communication, it opens the door for then you to talk about planning for your own future. But I feel like for your niece and nephew, that's so hard if they're Mm-hmm. Father is not interested in talking. Like it's very hard to plan for a parent if mm-hmm. they're not engaged Correct. in the discussion. I know, and there'll be a right time, and hopefully, I'll be able to guide them in that time yeah. for them to have that conversation. But just the financial planning, because people don't talk about that, yeah. you know. And I know, like for you, your children are younger. The fact that you say you're going to write it down, well, then tell them where you're going to put that, and then right. let them know an attorney has, because my mom hadn't even drawn up a will, like the, the first piece of the first six months, one of my five friends that, that I confided in, you know, broke down to basically, cause I was, anytime somebody asked me, how are you doing? And if it was a bad day, it just came out all of it. So a friend of mine said, you know, get power of attorney, get power of attorney, get power of attorney. And that was the first thing I did. And so she didn't even have a will, but, and I had to discover and find other things. So you know, I'm saying that because for you, even if you just write it down, even though they're too young, I have told friends of mine when they say, oh, my kids are too young, well then report it, write it down. And then when time is right, tell them where it's at. You don't have to, or if you don't want to have a conversation with them, just let them know where all this very important information is lying. You know, it sits because I had to go through 
mounds of, of stuff to find it, you know, and, and she was willing to let me look through it because, you know, you know, she was so, you know, she had three homes, one she lived in, two she rented, and she, she was forgetting to take the rent payment from the two homes and paying the mortgage, you know, right. like, like, so not knowing, you know, her, from her 401k to like, I didn't know I had to, like, luckily she, yeah. for the company she worked for, she had some very good colleagues and friends that guided me, you know, mm -hmm. like, oh, to find that you go here to this site because that's where all our stuff is at, you know, stuff like that. If I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have known. Right. You know? And just having the wherewithal to say, hey, you know, if anything were, you know, to happen to me, here's where this is, or call this phone number because this person knows exactly what needs to happen. Right. You know? Yeah. That's very important, you know, and, and this is only if you live, I mean, if you die, of course, it's a whole other conversation, but if you live, like they need to know, well, what do you do next? Cause you know, I yeah, just, and for me, it's the, even beyond the practical aspect, like of course, power of attorney is really important and mm -hmm. healthcare proxy and all of those things. But I think knowing the wishes of the person, yes. like that's something we have been able to talk to my mom about throughout this past decade. That's awesome. Her cognition has still remained somewhat intact and now that's starting to go. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's what I want to communicate to my kids because now that I've experienced this, yeah, I have very, like I said before, I don't want my kids to have to take care of me. I don't want them to have to move to me or move me yeah. if that's not what they want. And so, and they've even I, expressed that to you, right? They, yeah. they feel that, <laughs> let me just say, and I'm going to put this in context that, that I don't mean this from a bad place, but they feel the burden yeah. that you will never say, but they feel it, right? They and, feel it. They, yes, yes absolutely. And, and so they say, we don't want to do that. <laughs> we don't want that in our lives. And I get it. I totally get it. And so that is my responsibility then. Yeah. Like how am I, how are my husband and I going to plan absolutely. for that financially? so that they don't have to, so that I can do whatever it is that I need to do, which yeah. we don't need to go into that today, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I get and it. be prepared for myself. You know, I don't want them to have to take on yeah. so much of, of this. So yeah. that's a benefit. And I think another benefit of having these conversations is it does translate to other aspects of life, right? Mm -hmm. So like they have seen their grandmother face this horrible condition, well, that means that they can like talk to friends about who yes. have a, like we had a close friend who my friend lost her husband last year and they're close family friends. And my kids, I think because of a lot of this are able to have that empathy and will talk about the really hard things in life. And I yeah. think that's a silver lining of all this is like, absolutely, they, they do have such empathy for hard times that the other kids experience. And so I'm yeah. really grateful. I'm really, really grateful. Yeah. They're going to get a lot of great attributes, experiences, all of it. They're going to learn things that they would have most children that weren't in the same situation, yeah. you know, didn't learn until later, you know, and good for you for being open to communicating because I do know that like for us, it was not, even when my grandfather got sick, you didn't have those open conversations. It was behind them, behind the back when you were gone or whatever it was. And and it shouldn't be. It should be an open dialogue, especially if the family is going to be your main caregiving circle or somebody in your family is going to be, you know, a caregiver for you. Because if you don't, it is so overwhelming that even a child such as your son 
can feel it and see it in you that they don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, if, if my mom knew that she's always like, Oh, don't worry about it. No, I can do mm-hmm. it. Oh, yeah. you know, because she doesn't want to burden me. She's never yeah. like, that's why she wouldn't let me move home, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, I play the, Oh mom, this is normal. I have, I've always had a room here, mom. I've come home, you know, and I talk to her every day and I, like, it's nothing. I'm just on the road for work and I'm, I'll be, yeah, and she knows, it yeah, you know, because she has always been like, don't worry about me. I got this. Mm-hmm. I got this. Well, I know you do, mom, because you're the strongest person I know, but we could have had a little conversation <laughs> about the things she'd like, but that was not the way she was raised. Right. And I can't change that. Right? No. Right. Right. And I think we are like, this is something as a society, I, yes. I hope, I think that we're coming around to. I mean, think about like cancer, for example, and yes. how people used to not even say the word cancer. Yes. And so I feel like we are coming around to it and having the podcast like this is such a great way to encourage people to communicate because it's still going to be hard. Like we can't take away the pain, you know, but if we're talking about it, it does help ease the situation in a certain way that it's like, there's not that hiding part, you know, which takes up so much energy and just consumes Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. So Yeah. No more, no more shame in any of yeah. it, no matter what, what it is, what diagnosis. And you're absolutely right. The whole, the evolution of the word cancer, HIV, AIDS. I'm trying to think of, you know, all the other diseases that our society put money into to make it not a stigma. And now it's yeah, about like sports and yeah, mm-hmm. solution and everything else. I'm hoping that that starts happening for this disease because we're only living longer and there's more and more people that are being diagnosed. And then the fact that caregivers go unsupported and go unpaid, especially if they're family members, is heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. The stories that I have heard of the financial ruins yes. that have occurred or they're trying to get out of because all they knew what to do was just to take care of their loved one. You right. know? It's heartbreaking. And I do not wish that on anyone, you know, because then how do you recover? Not only you've lost the person you love, but then you have, you go through sadness, grief, remorse, you know, anger, all of it. I mean, all over again, you know, you're watching this person slowly die in front of you. And it's just, it doesn't matter, you know, who or what it's, it's hard. Right. And yeah, so I hope that, that we get better as a society in having these conversations and that there's more resources put into legislation so that caregivers get taken care of. Right, right. Yeah, that and more options for paying for assisted living and all of the things that that need to change in order. Because yeah, you're right. We won't be able to accommodate. I mean, we're only getting older as Mm -hmm. our country. And so- it's so important for us to figure out. Yeah, 100%. And good for you for finding a way to deal with these things through writing. This was my outlet. Yeah, it's very similar, you know, (laughs) talking it out or writing it out. Absolutely. So good for you finding an outlet and, and being able to give back and creating something, a business that will help others be able to get out their thoughts and their feelings in a way that is 
mindful and, and, yeah, and, and, and constructive in a sense where they can see it, you know, or share it with someone to help someone. Right. Yeah. And I think through writing and that piece that I shared is a good example of this. Like, oh yeah. initially I was just mad and upset that Griffin had to even deal with this, you know, mm. but then as I'm writing it, I'm able to start seeing it through her eyes yeah. and through the idea of like, I'm still the same person inside and how heart-wrenching that is for her to be aware that her grandchild won't play with her anymore. Yeah. And so I found that it's really through writing that I can get there. And it just like when I'm stuck in my head, I, I can't get there. I'm just upset, you know? Yeah, and absolutely. so it's through writing that I find it really healing. And yeah. yeah. Well, so I like to say that I encourage others to find something, you know, give you a call to help with the writing or give me a yeah. call and let's talk about <laughs> it on audio or just do whatever yeah. it is. It's going to help yeah. you release so that you don't take it out on that person, that you don't take it on your, first, you don't take it on yourself. yourself you know? yes. First and foremost yourself and then that person and then sharing that education, that awareness of the things that you've learned is key. I definitely feel like God sends me these winks all the time by having random mm -hmm. people that I talk to strangers, you know, through this podcast that I'm able to connect with and tells me little stories at the right time that I need to hear, but then also being able to yeah. share the stories with my friends or colleagues that know that I, because I'm very open. And when people say, I'm sorry, don't be, don't feel sorry for me, you know, it's a cycle right. of life. And I feel honored to be able to do this for my mother. All I'm asking you you know, so please ask me any questions, you know, and I get more and more people that will, you know, send me a Facebook message, LinkedIn, they, or they text me or whatever, email. I like, I pick up the phone, call me whenever you're ready, you give me a call and I listen to them. And then I make, if they ask me for advice or suggestions, I try to do my best to give them any kind of encouragement, you know, anything that they need, you know, because we don't know what we don't know. And I know what it feels like. It's an awful feeling, you know, and you, definitely feel very lonely and overwhelmed, but you're not like, right. Yeah. That's the thing. Like if you can connect to other people yes. who are dealing with it, that is huge because you just feel less alone in your struggle and you know, you're connected to other people, even if like you and I, like we don't know each other in person, but knowing you're yeah. out there and you're dealing with this too, it's like, that gives you strength to keep yeah. going. And that's what we need. Like the power of sharing stories is yeah. Can't be understated. Sure. And it definitely, reading your story made me cry. I cannot tell, like, it was just like, when you said, I, you know, I'd like to read this, I was like, okay, no problem. You know, that's great. I did not expect to, but, <laughs> but it's at the right times I need it. Yeah. yeah. And crying is a great thing yes. to let that out. Some people say that they just don't cry. Well, let me tell you, if, when this occurs, if you hold it back, it's going to each up. And if you don't want to cry, then you need to go exercise or you need to go take a walk or you need to do some, a lot of self-care because yes. there is a, a whirlwind of emotions that will, that you'd be surprised at because that's right. Yeah. And, and just taking care of yourself first so you can take care of others is the most important. And then second, you know, sharing your story and communicating to those around you that you need a little bit of help. And then those that are in your circle, your, you know, spouses, loved ones, whoever, if this happens to me, what do you want done? What are your wishes? What's your plan? Because it's, it's important and we're only living longer. We're, yes. It's going to be happening. It's already happening to more and more. I mean, I wish I had the stat from the quote that I got this afternoon, but I don't, 
something that Rob Lowe put out on the in an article in USA Today about caregivers. And huh. it, it's just shocking. Maria Shriver constantly putting out stats on caregivers and those going unpaid and just what it's doing to our world. Right. To okay. our society. Yeah. yeah. To our society for sure. So I appreciate you, Rachel, again. Yeah, for, it was so good. Yes. Yes, definitely for, for talking with me. And just tell listeners if they want to know more, if they have questions, you know, especially if they have young kids, how they can yeah. reach out to you and ask you more questions and, and get a hold of you. The easiest way to find me is to go to my website, which is orchidstory.com. Mm -hmm. And there's a contact there so they can reach out to me there. Awesome. And I'm happy to, I mean, honestly, it does feel lonely having young kids and dealing with this too. It's not most people who have a parent with dementia have older kids. And so it has been a lot of trial and error and I'm happy to talk, share my experience and, mm -hmm. and talk with other people about it. Well, I have <laughs> lots of writing about this too. So if they liked my writing that I read, that I shared, they'd, they'd love what else I have on my site. So. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. That's yeah. great. Well, I do really appreciate your time coming back again and you're welcome back anytime you want to talk because um, I definitely feel like there's so much more to say and to talk about. And so just know the door is always open for you. Thanks, Kimberly. You're very welcome, Rachel. I appreciate your time.